0: So Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 1, Paul says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly... His faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Now is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before. He, before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Now the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, in hope he, Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what He had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, I know those who have been a part of our studies in the past are going to say, how in the world is Jim going to cover all of that tonight? Well, like I said, that is our plan. Lord willing, we will hopefully get through this. But we're going to break it into three sections. Look, at, look again with me at verses 1 through 8. We're going to break down verses 1 through 8 to start with here. of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes from Psalm 32, which we're going to see in just a little bit. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Paul now continues this argument of or, uh, argument of faith being the basis of righteousness, not works, by using Abraham as an example. And he's going to use him in a many, many different ways. He actually quotes from Genesis chapter 15. Go to chapter 15 and look at verses 1 through 6. This is where you keep seeing that phrase that it was counted to him. It was counted to him. In Genesis chapter 15, back in chapter 12, God we saw that of Genesis, God had made a call to Abraham to leave his family and he's going to do a work through him and he's going to give him this land and through him all the nations of the world will be blessed. But in chapter 15... This promised descendant that he was promised hasn't come yet. And in chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, Eliezer of Damascus, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So Paul quotes from Genesis 15:1 through 6. And he points out that Abraham was given righteousness as a gift. When he believed God's promise. Now, we're going to end up really breaking down God's promise at the end of our study tonight. So just hang on to that. He was given righteousness as a gift. It was counted to him simply because he believed in God's promise. All right. More on that later on. Paul then points out the difference between a gift and wages. A gift is not earned. Wages are due or earned. Hopefully, when you get your paycheck... You don't have your boss say, "Well, here's your gift. You, know, you earned it. You earned your paycheck. It's not a gift. And so that's what he explains here in the next verses here. Look at what he says here in uh, verse four. He says, "Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as." Righteousness. And as we've said over and over, the world is full of people today that if you ask them, if you died, would you go to heaven? They think they've earned it. I've been a good person. I think God's going to weigh my good and my bad and he's going to say I'm in. They think their works are going to get them in. The Bible's real clear. The only way we're given righteousness is if God just gives it to us as a gift and we believe it and receive it by faith, not trying to earn it. But go real quick to Romans chapter 6 and look at verse 23. Remember, wages are due. A gift is a gift, right? Well, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We're due what because of our sin? Death. But the free gift of eternal life is given through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a gift. It's not earned. Go back to Romans chapter 3 and look at verses 23 and 24. In verse 23, for all have sinned and therefore are due death and fall short of the glory of God, but are justified, are justified by his grace as a what? As a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So Paul is simply saying in this first section, verses one through eight, Abraham believed God's promise and God gave him righteousness. It was counted to him as righteousness because he believed God's promise he didn't earn it it was a gift and he then points out go to psalm 32 verses 1 and 2 he then points out that even paul under i mean not paul david understood this when david wrote what he wrote in psalm 32 verses 1 and 2 and that's where paul quotes from there in the beginning of chapter 4 here go to psalm 32 look at verses 1 and 2 david says blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Blessed is the one whom God just says your sins are forgiven. Not blessed is the one who makes up for it, tries to do better, earns their way into God's graces. No, blessed is the one whom God just forgives their sin. I know you're in for a shock. But that's all we're going to do in verses one through eight. Now, let's look again at verses 9 through 12. Back to Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Paul then continues and he says, Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Well, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It wasn't after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Now the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not just merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Now Paul has just reiterated to us that righteousness is not earned, but is given as a gift from God through faith in God's promise. And it, as they said, he used Abraham as an illustration. But some might say, but Abraham was a Jew. And the Jews acted like they were God's special ones. And that was the mindset of that culture and of that world at that time. The Jews thought, we're his chosen people, we're his special ones. They despised the people who were Gentiles, or they called them barbarians as well. And Paul saying, I know some of you are thinking... Well, yeah, God gave Abraham righteousness, but he was a Jew, so he's special. And he quickly points out and he says, hang on for a second. The sign that someone was a Jew was circumcision. Was he given righteousness as a gift before he was circumcised or after he was circumcised? And some of you say, I don't know. Well, he answers that question for us, but I want to show you for yourself. Go to Genesis chapter 17. By the way, when was it counted to him as righteousness? What chapter in Genesis? Nope, not 12. Twelve's is when his, the Lord had called him. 15, like we just saw in chapter 15, verse 6. Chapter 15, verse 6 is when it was counted to him as righteousness. Now go to De- uh, Genesis chapter 17 and look at verses 1 through 14. Now at this point, the promised child has not been born yet. Genesis 17, look at verses 1 through 14. It says, when Abram was ninety nine years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall be surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Jump down to verse 22. Now when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, this is the one that he made with Hagar, not Sarah, his wife, but Hagar's handmaid. Hagar, Sarah's handmaid. He, he took Ishmael, his son, and all those born into his house, or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. So the covenant sign that the Jews were a special people and a different people and a different uh, race, not race, but uh, nationality, if you will, is the circumcision. When was he counted or given righteousness? Chapter 15. Prior to that. It's in chapter 17 that... The sign of the nation of Israel is given to him. By the way, there's a lot happened in 13 years between chapter 15 and chapter 17. If you read chapter 16, unfortunately, instead of waiting, Sarah says, well, he set a son from your own body. He didn't say my body. So maybe you're supposed to sleep with one of my servants. And unfortunately, they made Ishmael and God is a faithful God. And, and he kept his promise and he made Isra- Ishmael into a b- mighty nations as well. But the main thing I want you to grasp is this. Paul says he was given righteousness before he became a Jew, per se, in his circumcision. So don't think that that special righteousness as a gift is only for the Jews. That's what the question was here. Again, in verse 9, is this blessing then, chapter 4, verse 9, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the circumcised? Now, I don't know if you remember this or not, because we've covered a lot in the weeks we've been studying Romans. But this promise of gifted righteousness is available to everyone, circumcised or not, Jew and Gentile. And this has already been said many times already in the first three chapters. Well, here we are in chapter four, and Paul's still having to reiterate and deal with that issue. So I'm going to take you back with me. I'm going to do it fast. But I'm going to take you back to chapter one, chapter two and chapter three and show you how often Paul's already been saying salvation is for Everyone, Jew or Gentile, go with me to Romans chapter 1. We're going to hit it hard and fast. Look at verses 5 and 6. He's in the middle of describing his apostleship, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among just the Jews? No, all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Jump over to chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, this is the people in Rome, and, but this thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek." For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Jump over to chapter 2. Look at verses 6 through 11. It says, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he'll give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there'll be wrath and fury, There'll be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Go to Romans chapter uh, 2, verses 25 through 29. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit and not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So again, he's pulling this out over and over, saying, look, salvation's for everyone, by faith, Jew or Gentile. This gospel's for all the nations, and for those of you that think you're okay because you're circumcised, if you break the law, your circumcision's a waste of time, and there are going to be people who actually aren't circumcised, who understand the precepts of the law, and they're going to be given righteousness even though they're not circumcised. But we're not done. Go to Romans chapter three. Look at verses 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight through the law, through the law, though, comes since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So is that pretty clear? It's not just the Jew. He's talking to everybody. But we go on, go to Romans 3, look at verses 27 through 31. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So isn't it interesting that even though Paul has laid this out for us so clearly in chapters 1, 2, and 3, when he gets to chapter 4, he's still going to deal with this issue of, well, is this promise of righteousness only for the Jews? It was a very strongly prevalent mindset in that day. And who were the ones who were purporting it? The Jews and the Pharisees. The Jews, that's what they were teaching, is that we're the chosen ones, we're the special people, and all this. Yeah, they had privileges. They're going to be held in more accountability, as we've seen, because of those privileges. But Paul was trying to get the mindset across, and he's writing to people who are mostly Gentile in the area of Rome there, and saying to them, look, You've been hearing bad teaching for a while. God's salvation has always been for everyone. And it's always been by faith, not by works. He was given righteousness, not by anything he did, but simply because he believed. And Abraham, even though he's the father of the nation of Israel, was given that righteousness before he was circumcised. So that everybody would understand he's the father of many nations. And it's of those people who are of Faith. Now, like I just said, he had been told that he'd be the father of many nations. Let's go back and look at that a little bit more clearly and go back to Genesis 12. We'll look at verse 3 and then we're going to jump again to chapter 17, where we've already been tonight. Go to Genesis 12. Look at verse 3. Actually, we'll read verses 1 through 3, and then we'll clarify verse 3 here. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I'll bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, let me just stop real quick. We're going to chase something in chapter 17 just in a second. I need to chase a rabbit real quick. He's just said that everyone who blesses you, I'll bless, and everyone who curses you, I'll curse. And through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, you've heard me say this, and I believe it without question, that this definitely refers to the nation of Israel. If those who bless Israel, God's going to bless. The nations that curse Israel, they're going to be going through God's curses. Would you not agree? But didn't we just read that all who come to faith and are given righteousness are considered descendants of Abraham, children of Abraham? So you and I are of the children of Abraham. Would you not agree? Was there a chance then that those who bless you, he'll bless, and those who curse you, he'll curse, might also apply to you and I? The Bible does say that all the promises for Israel are ours ours in Jesus Christ, for the church. Yet why do we as Christians walk around all so fearful? Have we forgotten that those who are against us aren't fighting against us? They're fighting against him. I love the fact that when Paul was against the church, and he went out to have them put to death and arrested and everything, he meets Jesus face to face on the road to Damascus. And again, who's Paul going out to kill Christians, and he meets Jesus, and he says, Paul, actually at the time, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Lord, I'm not going after you. I'm going after these. No, no, no. You do it to them. It's like you're doing it to me. Folks, I love the fact I've been going through the book of Samuel. I've just finished it doing radio programs in my recordings, and in just a little bit, it'll be finishing up, and then we'll head into Mark in our future recordings of, of uh on the radio station there of the challenge for today's. But there's a section where David is running from his son Absalom, who's trying to take the kingship, and he leaves. And as he's leaving, people are standing by and mocking him. And this one guy, Shimei, actually curses him. And everybody around David says, do you want us to kill him for doing that? And David's answer is so relaxed. He said, listen, he said, how do we know that he's not doing it because God told him to do it? If I've done something worthy of being cursed, and it's coming from God, I deserve it. And if it's not from God, but from the enemy, God will deal with him. I've got my, hands in the life, uh, my life in the hands of God. I don't worry about making retribution. Because sometimes God allows stuff in our life to shape us and to mold us, and he's a good God, and I trust him if that's what it is. But if he needs to be dealt with, not my responsibility. God will deal with him as well. Folks, let this truth sink into your heart. You're children of Abraham. And if people are out to get you, you've got a big father that's going to take care of it. You don't need to defend yourself. Vengeance is not yours. It's his. He'll take care of it. And if you needed to be disciplined for a season, all right, he's a good God, and I trust him in that as well. Now let's go to Genesis 17 and look at that promise. Of the father of many nations. Genesis 17, again, verses 1 through 7. When Abram was 99 years old, keep this in mind. Has he had the promised child yet at 99? No, he's made uh, Ishmael with the servant girl Hagar at this point, but he hasn't made the promised child yet. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may, may make my covenant between me and you. In other words, it's still future. That I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham, Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be to you, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So he had been promised that he would become the father of a multitude of nations. But the Jews clouded the message like we've looked at and not only focused on works instead of faith, they also acted if righteousness was only available to the Jews, those who kept their Law. But Paul was a minister to who? Gentiles. So Paul, the minister to the Gentiles, pointed out that in Christ, both Jew and Gentiles are both recipients of of all the promises made to Abraham and his descendants. You said, Jim, you quoted that earlier. Where does it actually say that? Well, go to Ephesians chapter 2. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. We actually have it a little bit better than the Jews right now. Because they've experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. The promises that they're going to receive as a nation at the end of the tribulation period are ours now. They're going to be indwelt with his spirit. They're going to have their sins erased and he's going to indwell them with his spirit and move them to follow his decrees. Those things are ours now. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verses 11 and following. Now, therefore, Paul says, remember, he's a have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens and you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Keep reading. For this reason, because of all that, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. It was revealed in past times that Gentiles would be saved. I could show you over and over and over that the Old Testament talked about the fact that salvation was for the Gentiles. But what had not been made known, which was being made known through Paul and others in the New Testament era, was that the Gentiles were not only included, but they weren't stepchildren. They were equal, co-heirs. All the promises for Israel are are ours, as Gentiles. They're not considered as lesser. And unfortunately, there was a hostility that the Jews had, even though they were supposed to be God's representatives in the world, there was a hostility that the Jews had toward anybody that wasn't a Jew. So much so that there was a group of people who were part Jewish and part Gentile who had during the captivity in Babylon, gone and intermarried with some of the Babylonians. And then after they came out of the captivity, those people had made babies that were part Jew and part Gentile. And they made them live in a certain area called Samaria, and they wouldn't even walk through Samaria. They wanted nothing to do with them. They had their own place of worship. It wasn't They weren't allowed in Jerusalem, and there was a hostility there. And on top of that, if you remember, even after Peter gets saved, and Peter's preached through by the Spirit of God at Pentecost, later on, God has to kind of knock him upside the head to get him to go to a Gentile's house to share the gospel. And what does he do when he has the vision and and God says, whatever I've called clean, don't call unclean. And he realizes it's tied into the Gentiles and the Gentiles knock on his door and he goes to their house. And the spirit comes upon them just like he did them at Pentecost. And then Peter, of all people, goes, now I realize that God actually has no partiality and loves everybody. There was a strong mindset in that day that God was only for the Jews. Now, I share this with you for a reason. We're just as human as those Jews. And there's a tendency among the church to subconsciously start thinking we're we're better in God's eyes than the rest of that heathen world out there because we're good people and he chose us, and we're His children, and we're co-wares with Jesus, and we're forgiven of our sins, and He loves us more. I want to encourage you, don't ever let that attitude sink into your heart, because it's not from Christ. Now, we are able to experience more of His love, but He doesn't love us any more than He loves the lost person. For God so loved the world that He sent His Son to die for the world while the whole world was sinners, and Jesus died for you when you were still in your sin. Let me just say this to you, folks. God loves everybody. And the moment you start thinking you're better or God likes you more than some of those people we see on the news. Be careful. Be careful. So is salvation only and this gift of righteousness is only for the Jews? No. Actually, God timed it in giving him his righteousness so that it happened before he was circumcised. So that he would be the father of all who believe whether they've been circumcised or not. All right, now let's go to our third section. And I think we're going to finish chapter four tonight. And you guys can't make any more jokes about how long it takes me to get through a book of the Bible. I did a chapter in one night, I think. I haven't finished, but hopefully we will. Look at verses 13 through 25. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherence of the law who are to be heirs, Faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. We just saw that in Genesis 17. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, in hope he, Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith, and he, as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, in the first section of Romans that we looked at, verses 1 through 8, Paul lays out the fact that Abraham was given righteousness us as a gift. He didn't earn it. All right. The second section, he says, and he was given this righteousness as a gift when he wasn't a Jew yet. There was no circumcision yet. There was no nation of Israel yet. He was still about to be the father of many nations. And he was given that promise and that righteousness before he became a Jew, if you will. In this section now, he brings out and he says this. Oh, and by the way, this promise that God made Abraham, that he believed and it gave him righteousness because he believed it. Did God give it to him through the law or did he give it to him as a promise before the law even came? It was before. Actually, as you're going to see. The law didn't come until 430 years later on. Isn't that interesting, though? Even though the promise was made to Abraham 430 years before the law, the Jews are all thinking that they get their righteousness through the law. Well, if you only get your righteousness through the law, how did all the people prior to the law for those 430 years plus before that, how did they get righteousness if it only comes through the law? So Paul starts laying this out, and there's so many things I can't wait to show you, especially when we start taking a look at the fact that Abraham believed God and he didn't weaken in his faith. Now, some of you will say, hang on for a second. He's already, in chapter 15, said, well, it doesn't look like I'm going to have this kid you told me about. He's going to be Eliezer or Damascus. Chapter 16, Sarah convinced him to sleep with his, her handmaid. And, well, maybe that's how God wants to do it. It sure looks like he's questioning. Can't wait to show you how... The Bible shows us that what is written here is true. He believed God and he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. But we'll get to that in just a second. Go to Galatians chapter 3. And look at verses 15 through 29. Galatians chapter 3 verse 15. Paul says, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. Singular. It doesn't say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Well, well, why the law then? Why, Why did he give us the law 430 years later then? Well, it was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise." Now, as we just read in Galatians, the law was given to guide people until the promised one arrived. The law actually was given because of transgression. Let let, let me help you out, hopefully, a little bit here. Um, All along, as we've already seen, through the Old Testament and the New, salvation is by faith alone. And God gives righteousness for those who believe his promise. Correct? Now, what is the evidence, though, that you have sinned? The soul that sins, it shall die. And later on, you're going to see this. Paul lays this out later on in our study of Romans that one of the evidences that there was sin was all the people from the time of Adam and Eve until the law had died. There was sin. They were dying. That's evidence. But they weren't breaking commandments. Adam and Eve broke a commandment. Thou shall not eat from this tree. And they were removed from God's presence because of that. But all the people that lived after them, there was no law, there were no commands, but they were still dying, but they weren't weren't conscious of their sin problem. So God now brings a law and a bunch of laws to reveal the sin problem. Was there a sin problem already? Yeah, it was always there. That's why people were dying. But they were kind of ignorant of it. It's kind of like people that have cancer and they go, I ain't going to the doctor. Because if I don't go to the doctor, he doesn't say I have cancer. And as long as I don't go to the doctor, I don't have cancer. Even though they have cancer, in their mind, if I don't go to the doctor, he won't point it out. And if he doesn't point it out, it ain't there. Well, that's foolishness. That's foolishness. Because if you got cancer, you got cancer. Take it from someone who's had cancer. You got it. I went to the doctor when I realized I had a problem. But for a while, I didn't know it was there until it manifested itself. But then I went and had an MRI, actually a couple of CAT scans and then an MRI. Did the CAT scans and the MRI give me cancer? No. They just revealed the cancer that was already there. In the same way, the law came to reveal what already existed, the sin problem. It pointed to the one promised coming one, and it also condemned men in their sin at the same time. It, well, it was not, the law wasn't only pointing to Jesus. It was also showing us our need for Jesus. Go back to Romans chapter 3 again. We read it earlier tonight. Look at it again in this context now. Look at verses 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Go to chapter 5 of Romans. Look at verses 18 through 21. Romans chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. Therefore, as one trespass, Adam's, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, Jesus's, leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Now isn't that interesting? He then goes on, so that sin reigned in, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, Adam's sin passed on sin to all of us. And Jesus' righteousness now will give righteousness to everyone, just like Adam's sin can give it to everybody. Jesus' righteousness can be given to everyone. But here's the thing. The law came in to do what? To reveal sin, but we just read it here. It came in to do what? Increase the trespass. How does the law, which is holy and good, increase the trespass? We've already been dealing with this in our study. It actually fuels sin. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56 says the power of sin is the law. What fuels sin is the law. We've talked about this already. If someone says to you, don't do something, now you want to do it. You didn't even think about doing it until someone said don't. Well, now I want to. That's because of the sin that's in us. And the law not only pointed out sin, it fueled sin and it made sin increase. But it doesn't matter how much sin is increased. God's grace is greater than all of that. Abraham's faith, though, was in God's promise, God's word, that through him the whole world would be blessed and that this would come through his physical offspring. Go back to Genesis 15. Look again at that promise. And we just saw in Galatians 3, that this promise in Genesis 15 was talking about a specific individual offspring, and we now saw from Paul in Galatians 3 that it's Jesus. Go to Genesis 15 and look at verses 1 through 6 again. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. God said to him, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what do you give me? For I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, we know that this word offspring is tied to also the nation of Israel. That's why he talks about the number of the stars. But it's also saying, I'm going to produce through you an offspring. And through that offspring, all the world will be blessed. And yes, it wasn't Ishmael. Because we find out later on, remember chapter 16, Sarah says, well, maybe he meant somebody else, not me. And they make uh, Ishmael. And then chapter 17 Later on, we didn't get to that. Abraham even says to God, oh, that your blessing would come through Ishmael. And God says, nope, not him. And in chapter 18, he comes and he tells them both a year from now, Sarah, you're going to give birth. It's going to be through Abraham and Sarah. Now, we read in Romans that he didn't weaken in his faith, even though at this point he's 100 years old and his body's as good as dead. And nor did he consider the barrenness of Sarah's womb. And so Abraham and Sarah did something that showed they acted on their faith in God's promise that it would be through him and her. You all know what they did, right? We don't have to get into details. Do we have to have the talk? We don't have to do, talk about birds and the bees, do we? All right. He acted, even though his body was as good as dead. And his wife had been barren for all those years. And he believed God and he acted on it. We're going somewhere with this. But he acted on it in a way that a lot of you probably haven't considered. Remember, God had promised him through Isaac this promise would come. Not Ishmael. I'm going to bless Ishmael. I'll take care of Ishmael because I promised that your seed would be multiplied. But the promise is coming through Isaac. Well, go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. You want to talk about not weakening in your faith. Once he and Sarah went and made that baby. Abraham believed that God was going to do through that child. What God had promised. In a way that may surprise you. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Think about this for a second. God came. It took him a little while to grasp the promise. But he started to understand and believe that, yes, you'll do this, and it's going to be between me and Sarah. And then he said, through Isaac. And then so many years later, God comes to him and says, I want you to take your son, and I want you to sacrifice him for me. I want you to take him up on a mountain, and I want you to kill him. We don't have, for the sake of time, to, uh, the time for me to read the story to you, but if you were to go back and look at, at Genesis 22, verses 1 through 12, you'll notice that he goes... With Isaac and the wood and some servants, and he stops, and he says to the servants, "Me and the boy are going to go up on the mountain and worship, and we are going to come back to you. We're going to come back. Yet he's willing to sacrifice him. And Hebrews, the word of God, tells us that he was not only willing to kill him, he believed. The kid was going to die. But he also believed that God was going to raise him from the dead. Why? Because God said through Isaac will be the promise. And if God said through Isaac will be the promise and then God tells me to kill him, he's going to have to raise Isaac from the dead because Isaac's the one he promised he would do it through. That's faith. Oh, by the way, was Abraham's faith tested? Let me ask you a question. Will your faith be tested or you better believe it? James chapter one, verses two and following says, count it all joy, my brothers. When you face various trials for the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and hope. And it produces what God wants to do. Folks, don't be surprised that God would have you go through times where, Lord, I know what you said. But it didn't look like it was going to happen. Real faith not only believes, but acts on that belief. That's why the book of James, we again don't have time to go there either. In the book of James, James says, you say you got faith, show me by your actions. Now that was actually... It caused a problem for the early people who were the the, the early church fathers who were trying to determine what books were actually inspired by God and what books weren't. And There's a lot of books out there that aren't a part of the canon of Scripture. But those who made it into the canon of Scripture had to go through rigorous examination and testing and trials. And there was a problem. The book of Hebrews and the book of James almost didn't make it. The book of Hebrews almost didn't make it because we don't know who wrote it. And one of the standards was you had to know who the author and wasn't an apostle. But we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Oh, there's people that like to argue over that. But the answer is, we don't know. Actually, I can tell you right now. Y'all want to know who wrote the book of Hebrews? His name's Jesus. All right. Jesus wrote the book of Hebrews. All right. And by the way, I would write that on all my tests in seminary and say, I dare you to give me an F. So here's the deal. But here's the next. Here's the next thing, though. The book of James almost didn't make it, though, because it felt they thought that James was contradicting the letters of Paul. Because Paul said, you're saved by grace, not through faith, not of works, so no one can boast. James said, you say you got faith, show me by your works. And what the Bible is actually saying is, faith that doesn't have action isn't real faith. There's lots of people that say they believe, but you know, when push comes to shove, and you have to make a decision, am I going to really trust God, or am I going to look for plan B? You may say you had faith. But you didn't. You may say you believe, but you don't. Even the demons believe. That doesn't mean they're saved. That's what James says. And the Bible says seed falls on the thorny soil and the rocky soil. And sure sprung up, but trouble came and they went away because it wasn't real faith. And the cares of this world choked it. And even though they went to church for a while and man, he, J- Jimmy's a good boy. He he prayed a prayer when he was a kid and he went to Sunday school and he was baptized. I'm going to say this to you as lovingly as I can. That isn't what gets us into heaven. Real evidence is that when the testing of the faith comes, they stick. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be periods that we look like we're not saved. Peter didn't look saved, even though he was during those days when he said, I never met the guy. But what God had begun, he finishes. And your faith will be tested. And Abraham, once he started to understand, he believed it was going to happen tried to help him a little bit. But then when he understood that God had said through you and through Sarah, he never weakened in his faith concerning that promise. And he went and put the do not disturb sign on the tent, even though his wife was old and he was dead. And on top of that, years later, when God said, I want you to kill him, he said, even though I've never heard of anybody rising from the dead, never seen anybody rise from the dead, Isaac's going to have to rise from the dead, even though I kill him, because God said it was through him. And that's Oh, and by the way, you know the story. If you don't, go read it in Genesis 22. What did God provide as the sacrifice instead of Isaac? A ram. And how was that ram caught? Its horns were caught in a thicket. In other words, that lamb had a crown of thorns on its head. Isn't that cool? Oh, the whole book points to Jesus, folks. God's promises for us too. go back to Romans 4. Look at verses 23 through 25. Romans chapter 4, verses 23 through 25. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Go to Romans chapter 10. You can say you have faith, but what kind of action is going to demonstrate that faith? You don't put faith in your action. You put faith in God, but you act because you believe that God says is true. Listen to Romans 10, verses 8 through 13. Romans 10, starting in verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. He cannot repeat it enough, can he? For the same Lord is Lord of all. Bestowing his riches on all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So with our heart, we believe and with our mouth, we what? We confess. You want you want evidence of your salvation? Tell somebody. Tell somebody, because if you're ashamed of him in this earth, He said he'll be ashamed of you when it comes time to present you before the father. If you want to say, I don't know him or act like you don't know him and not tell anybody you know him. Good luck having him say he knows you. When it's time for you to face the judgment. So believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. we got time for one more passage. Go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, look at verses four, 36 through 41. Acts 2, 36 through 41. This is the end of Peter being filled with the Spirit and preaching at Pentecost, and he says this in verse 36, Acts 2, 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom our Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who believed his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3000 souls. They said, what do we do? We're cut to the heart. The has hit our hearts. What do we do? He says, you repent, you acknowledge your sin, you believe and you what? You publicly let it be known. That's what baptism was. It was a public identification. You're saved when you put your faith in Christ, but you are fully saved, if you will, when you confess it. Don't be afraid to tell people. If, well, by the way, folks, if anybody's listening and you've never been baptized since you've been saved. Well, I was baptized as a baby. Now, you, that didn't want your confession. That meant mommy or, dad, mommy or daddy's trying to make you, them feel better about you or whatever. When have you publicly confessed your faith in Jesus? You believe? Act on it. However he tells you to do it. Don't be afraid to tell them about him. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.